Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. I'm Kevin Ellis, and welcome to Vermont Viewpoint from WDEV. We are in Barrie today, and we are here to focus on the granite capital of the world and the flood recovery that's happening here. It's our second live uh, on-site show. We did downtown Montpelier last week where we spoke to business owners and others who are suffering and enduring. We'll do the same this this morning in Barrie. How did this flooding happen? How bad was the damage? And what does recovery look like? We are here in downtown at Nelson's Hardware among the hardest hit and among the first to recover. We'll talk to Bob Nelson and his staff about what they've been through. We will have a revolving cast of guests, including members of the city council and other community leaders. We want to hear their stories. You can hear us live on the radio at AM 550, FM 96.1, and all along your radio dial online at WDEVradio.com and on the free WDEV radio app. One note. We're in a hardware store today, so you're going to hear a lot of background noise on the show, and I think that's uh, appropriate. Uh, so bear with us if there's some uh, if there's still cleaning up in the basement. So if you hear a jackhammer going on, don't worry. It's uh, it's just uh, Nelson's Hardware recovering from the flood, and they're in regular business hours. So we're gonna we're gonna have lots of action going on. Uh, Last night, the Mad River rose to dangerous levels in Waitsfield and Warren. Storo Drive in Boston flooded. Rutland and Middlebury flooded again. If there's one thing we know, this is with us, and it will happen again. So the question is, how will we adapt, and how will we change the way we live and do business? Today, we're focusing, as I said, on the granite capital of the world, where immigrants from Italy Spain, Ireland, and other countries came for work in the quarries and on dairy farms. Those people and their children are still here, and they are struggling to recover from this devastating flood. Uh, we, When we come back, we're going to be joined by Bob Nelson, the owner of Nelson's Hardware, and uh, he and his staff are uh, we're open just just a couple of days after the flood, and we will get their story uh, coming right up after this message. I'm Kevin Ellis. You're listening to Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We are back. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint. By the way, uh, we we take your calls. Uh, the number is 244-1777 if you want to talk to us. The email is Viewpoint at RadioVermont.com. Our first guest today is Bob Nelson. He is the owner of Nelson's Hardware. We are where we're broadcasting from, and it was ground zero when it comes to the flooding that happened in Barrie. Bob, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you. Thanks for being here, and thanks for uh, telling our story. So, Bob, when the flood happened, we're now four weeks in. Mm -hmm. Tell us where you were. I was right here, right where we're sitting right now at the front door. It's uh, 4 o'clock. I looked out and could see the water coming up over the 
edge of the sidewalk and I hollered to my help and said, we need to get our stuff in and we need to get out. You guys need to get home because the water's coming and it's coming fast. So, yeah, one thing you know about uh, Nelson's hardware is everything's out on the sidewalk. <laughs> and so, you know, you're open when you drive by because everything's out on the sidewalk. It's all part of our charm, yes, uh, is to have product out on the sidewalk. And we're fortunate that the city allows us to do that. But, yeah, that's that's what we did is we got everything in. I sent everybody home. And by 5 o'clock when I left here, the water was coming underneath the front doors. And when I left to go out to my truck, uh, the water was about knee-deep. Bob, this is not the first time this has happened. No, it's uh, not. Hurricane Irene, uh, you face the same thing. Everybody from Montpelier to Barry to Hardwick to Johnson, they're facing the same thing, and they're wondering, how many times am I going to have to do this? Well, you know, that Monday, that was what I said to myself, is uh, I sent some of my crew into the basement, and I said, let's get anything that's expensive, anything that can be damaged, get it up off the floor, get it up three feet. So three guys spent the majority of the day getting product up onto shelves that were three to four feet off the off the floor because in May of 2011, Irene didn't get buried quite as hard, but the May of 11 storm uh, gave us 42 inches in our basement. And that was a fairly significant event, Not obviously not as significant as this, but I had no clue. It doesn't appear that anybody had any clue that this event was going to be what it was. So what did you have down in the basement? Let's get down <laughs> uh, to brass tacks here. What didn't we have? So we have, um, we typically we have about $650,000 worth of inventory uh, on hand. About a little less than half of that's in the basement. So there was about between two hundred seventy-five dollars and $300,000 worth of inventory in the basement. And you name it, there were mowers, trimmers, blowers, a lot of uh, lawn and garden goods because it's summer, uh, chainsaws, uh, batteries, Milwaukee tools. Uh, there was pool chemicals uh, for, for pool and pool floaties and uh, lots of, like, trigger wood pellets. I don't know how many bags of trigger wood pellets we threw out, probably 100 uh, that were down there as, as backstock. You buy them by the pallet. Uh, so there was a lot of product. There was all of our Christmas stuff. Not only all of the, the Christmas items that were left over from the holiday, the Christmas lights and that kind of thing, but everything that we had bought in the last 40 years of, of business, there was a lot of uh, stuff that had um, that meant something to me and my family that we put in our windows year after year gone. And, you know, and now people are saying, well, you know, you need to, you need to somehow uh, assign a value to that. And I said, you can't assign a value to that. You know, the one thing that we saved is uh, a Santa chair that we bought from a local, um, a local, uh, shop probably six or seven years ago and it's a nice wooden chair and when santa comes in uh this is when he stops at nelson's that's the chair that he sits in and we we managed to say that even though it had been underwater we managed to clean it up and save it and one of my guys is real good with wood and he saved that but everything else was just just went into a dumpster so can you estimate your loss or is it impossible um, I've been estimating it right along. Um, I, I said it's going to be between two seventy-five and three hundred thousand dollars. That's for Nelson Hardware, and then the property damage um, that my wife uh, Linda and I we own the, the property as well as the business um, is probably going to be another two hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So it's a it's a substantial loss for us. And 
what what do you do now? So you're in it, 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 you're in cleanup mode. Yes, but you're also open. Yes, as I said earlier, uh, my my uh, third horsepower sump pump survived in my house in East Montpelier. It took four days to pump out the water, yeah. but it did it. Uh, but your staff is telling me I need a, a, a one horsepower new sump pump, at least as a backup. And yes, probably maybe a half horsepower. Half would horsepower. would do the trick, yeah, for what you for what you're looking for. But you're op- you're open and still cleaning up. You can hear the guys in the basement. Uh, what's going on in the basement? So the basement that was sort of the most important thing for us to get right off. I mean, first of all, and this probably people have heard this story before, but we had three floods. We had Mother Nature, then we had a sprinkler pipe burst when the the line repressurized, and then the following afternoon we had a water heater that had been damaged in the uh, in the flooding, uh, finally tip over and it broke a one inch pipe and reflooded our basement again. That was only about a foot. The second the sprinkler pipe broke in the middle of the night and put about six feet more water into our, into our basement. So we've had three floods that we've tried to remediate against. It's it put us behind a little bit. Most people were able to start pumping Tuesday, that Tuesday, get their their everything pumped out. We got everything pumped out on Tuesday, and then had to go through the whole process again on Wednesday and part of Thursday. So we were kind of behind everybody, getting the dirt, getting the product out, um, getting power restored, getting internet restored. Those were the the main things to start with. Um, the the staff here at Nelson's is unbelievable. Uh, they are the hardest working, most dedicated people you'll find. And uh, everybody got on board. We got right into the basement. We started getting the stuff out. Uh, we had a lot of people that helped us, people up and down the the, uh, the block. Uh, it was, you know, in some respects, it was, um, it, I don't want to say it was fun because it wasn't, but at the same time, you'd have, um, the folks from uh, Stone and Browning who were working up yeah. the street that yeah. had that had a significant loss as well. They'd have somebody coming down to give us a hand. Josh Magnin from Wabies and Mary Jane, they would come down and give a hand, and we'd go up and help them. And we were we were trading, you know, sump pumps, you know, as people had more water, and and um, so the community just in this this little stretch of Merchants Row, the, the the help and the community that we had back here during that time was was unbelievable. Uh, Benoit Electric, um, they had a whole crew down here that was doing nothing but going up and down the back, it seemed like, and helping people. Um, You know, I talked to John, and he said, you know, my guys can't get to their jobs. They they need to be helping people that need help, and so they were down here and and helping us. And, um, you know, a lot of our friends, they said the community support has been amazing. So the, we got the cleanup done. Uh, we've used SR janitorials. We're very fortunate to have them be able to come and clean the basement, literally clean the basement. And now it's just remediating the last little bit of the sheetrock and, and, and two-by-fours and stuff that need to come out. You, you, you mentioned, uh, you're right, it's not, it wasn't an exciting time, but there is an adrenaline that takes over. Uh, it's almost like... Going back to high school sports, yeah. uh, there's an adrenaline that takes over, and there's a job to get done, yeah. and everybody pulls together and does it. Uh, but then, was there a moment? Because I felt this in Montpelier, where we were all in basements, and and but then there's a moment where you're just exhausted, and you're looking ahead to what you're facing, and that gets difficult. 
emotionally, mentally, not to mention financially. Uh, so it seems to me you're in that period right now. You're now looking ahead to, okay, what do I need to do to protect this business going forward and generate revenue? Yeah. Um, where are you in that equation? Well, I'll be honest with you. Um, we were in that mode uh, on Tuesday. Uh, on Tuesday, I called Ace the Tuesday after the storm, and I said, I'm going to need 75 sump pumps. I'm going to need 50 dehumidifiers, and I'm going to need hoses and all the other assorted things. And they were great. They said, 7 o'clock Wednesday morning, we're going to have them at your place. And they dropped them here. And they did the same thing the next day for us. So we Wednesday morning... I would call it a soft opening. We were here. The back door was open. We were working, you know, mucking out the basement and getting rid of product. Uh, but we were open, and we were almost fully open Thursday morning, ready to go. So, I mean, we started right off. Uh, I've said it probably 500 times in the last month. Uh, but when, you know, when you have a disaster like this and things go wrong, people need their hardware stores. And uh, it was important to us to get back open so that we could be helping people. Uh, you know, for a, a day or two, uh, we were barely able to help ourselves, to be quite honest. But we knew that there were people out there that needed us. And, again, my, the staff here are just incredible. We were working double duty, working long hours. Um, I'm going to say week three, you talk about the crash. And yeah. you were right. I think that the Monday of the third week um, – you know, Monday of last week, I guess, was when we all kind of went, yeah. uh, what, do we, what do we do now? You know, things are close to normal. We're almost back to normal hours, and we're helping people. The, the gun was not to our head anymore as far as getting the stuff out so we could get it clean so, you know, we can make sure to get rid of mold and make sure nobody gets sick and all those things. And we all kind of went, oh, what do we do now? And you're right, it is similar to, to, you know, playing a full game of sports. And then, uh, as, you know, when you go home at night and there's that crash, you know, um, it's, it's very similar. Yeah. Tell me about uh, what, what happens next. Uh, for, you, you are a store within the larger context of Barry, which is, and we're going to have uh, some city council members and others on the street coming in in a minute to talk about this. Um what does the city face? I don't know as I can answer that. I mean, I you know, I can see it sitting uh, inside it and looking out at it. Um, they definitely are, are going to have to have some remediation uh, down around the uh, public safety building, 1st Street, 2nd Street, Vine Street. Those people have been um, flooded. You know, we've been flooded twice in 11 years. Uh, they've been flooded multiple times in that same amount of amount of time. And I think um, I know Nicholas um, uh, has said that the city manager has said that he plans on working with FEMA to to see if he can get, you know, whether it's a buyout or something else. And I, I think that's got to happen for these people. And, um, you know, don't don't think that I'm sitting here and saying, poor me, uh, because I'm not. Uh, it, that's not the guy I am, for one thing. But um, my wife and I have a home. My staff have homes. We didn't lose everything. We didn't lose our home. We didn't lose our possessions. We didn't lose our belongings. We lost stuff that we sell. Um, and while that's important to my business in the grand scheme of things, that's a lot less than our neighbors in Montpelier and the folks that have lost their homes and everything else. Uh, Bob, 
What's the role of government, city government, state government, the governor, Bernie Sanders uh, in Congress, in helping out here? Uh, I, I, in, in an interview I did last week, uh, an expert from the state said, just be, let's just be clear, government is not good at helping in the immediate. They're good long term because there's a lot of money floating around, but uh, they're not good in the immediate. What's been your experience with government? So I can tell you from the local government side um, that the the folks in the emergency operations center were great at keeping uh, us informed. Um, They, uh, one of the things that, that I didn't do immediately and I, the city, Joe Aldsworth from the city called and he said, hey, we're going to have some some dumpsters. They're going to be on Main Street. They're going to be out back. The ones in Merchants Row are for you folks there in Merchants Row. There's going to be some out front that are for people who, you know, people who need to find a place to get rid of their home belongings. Um, and that happened very quickly. I don't remember if it was Wednesday or Thursday, but it happened very quickly. And that that was huge. The fact that somebody was aware that this was going to need to happen uh, and that uh, Myers uh, and Casella were responsive and were able to get, you know, those uh, those bins to us was huge. Uh, I think the I think the local government did a, a good job there. They have some tremendous challenges ahead of them. What are, what are those challenges exactly? Do you, do you know? I mean, do you have a list? I, I do. We went through this in 2011. Uh, there's going to be start to be conversations about dredging the rivers, and that's controversial. There yeah. are people who uh, don't want the um, the ecoculture to be uh, disturbed. But um, when you have, uh, you know, you're going to have that argument. Okay, we've got let's say 10 people. Uh, in uh, down there that have lost their homes. They've basically lost everything. And as we heard at the, the FEMA meeting, some of them have nothing um, except what's left, uh, which has been condemned. Uh, and then you, you say, okay, well, we don't want to disturb the fish. There are going to be arguments on both sides that are very heated. Um, in 2013 or so, there was some dredging that was done to the river to help mitigate the flooding that happened in 2011, whether something like that can happen again. I mean, just think of this event alone, this event alone coming from Pearl street and coming from main street, put two inches of mud on this floor where we're sitting all all the way back to the end of this aisle. So two inches of silt, how much silt is in that river? How much silt is in the brook that's down there? I I interviewed Julie Moore, the agency of natural resources secretary for the governor. And she told me, that more silt flowed into Lake Champlain in one day than did for an entire year. I actually heard that yeah. uh, when I was listening, when you, you were having that conversation and was yeah. blown away by that, yeah. that statistic. Um, so there's, there's a lot of conversations that have to have. From the state government side, um, I will tell you that state and federal, what they need to do is they need to simplify things. So my wife and I have been applying for the the loan that uh, Phil put $20 million into, the ACCD yep. loan. I don't know exactly what it's called. Um, and also the um, the Small Business Administration loans. There's been, a lot of, there's been a lot of criticism of that. I mean, you know, over in Montpelier, my, my friends who own businesses are saying, I, I can't borrow any more money. I don't need a loan. I need cash. Yes, you're right. 
you're right. They've got to simplify the grant process, and they also – and that's part of the problem. If you're a business, grants are few and far between, and BADC is working on that, and Phil is, has uh, worked on that, and there's some other – you know, there's some others that are raising money, um, and, you know, I don't know what is in the BADC fund right now, but if it's a million dollars, I mean the $20 million that Phil, that Phil wrangled – uh, 19 of which I guess is going to retail businesses is a, a drop in the bucket. Yeah. That's nowhere near enough. Yeah. And, but every bit of that is helpful, but the process, there, there's a couple things. Um, if you have good credit and you've paid your bills all your life and you've worked hard, you can get an SBA loan at 8%. Now, if you've worked hard all your life and you've paid your bills and you have good credit, you can go to your bank and get money for six percent. So why would you why would you want to give the the SBA eight uh, percent? One reason would be no payments, no interest for a year. So it gives you a chance to get back on your feet and maybe make those arrangements with your local bank. Right. But that's ridiculous. Someone who uh, does not have uh, the wherewithal to be able to pay that loan as easily as as someone who has a little bit higher credit rating, they pay four percent. Now, I'm not saying that should be reversed. I'm just saying that that seems unfair when a natural disaster like this is costing a business half of their inventory, for instance, and in my example, and they expect me to pay a higher rate than everybody else. And I I don't think that's fair. The process is unbelievably uh, long, arduous. It needs to be fixed. Uh, So this is the federal government. I should be able to check a box and say, I give you permission to pull my tax records for my business. Same thing if I'm doing an SBA for personal property loan for for the buildings. I should be able to check a box that says, you're the federal government. You have my personal tax returns. I give you permission. No, you have to scan in your personal tax returns or your business tax returns and upload them. Now, so now you've got a document too large to send to the federal government right. in an email. So you have to do a Google Drive or something similar. Make it simple. It shouldn't be this arduous. Quick question. Uh, you mentioned you have to talk. Remember, my mother in New Jersey is listening to this okay. show. And you're talking about a guy named Phil. Mm-hmm. How important is it to you that the governor of this state is from Barry? You probably knew him growing up. And you refer to him by his first name. That's got to be there's a comfort level there. Talk about that. There is. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say that uh, we're the governor's uh, hardware store. He's, uh, he's not in here exactly every weekend, but he's in here many weekends picking up things for, because everybody's got a project at home. And uh, it's, um, it's important that uh, the people that, that are in the store at the same time, they're able to have a conversation with him if they want to. But he always he always is willing to have a conversation with me about things that are going on in business, um, things that are going on because I'm on the select board in, in my municipality, things that are going on at, at that level as well. So yes, that's a that's a very large, uh, important thing for our community. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint. Uh, we are here at Nelson's Hardware in downtown Barrie, the granite capital of the world. And uh, we're glad to be here. What we're doing here is we're telling stories. We're trying to hear the stories of the folks 
in this city that suffered through this flood and are still suffering through this flood and what they've got to do to rebuild, redesign, and recover. Uh, We'll be back after this. You're listening to Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We are back. It's Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis, and we're here in downtown Barrie at Nelson's Hardware, where we're telling stories about the flood, what people experienced, and what they have to do to recover. Uh, You just heard Bob Nelson talk about what they have to do to recover. Uh, They were open the next day. I'll yell over to him. Bob, is that right? Were you open the next day? Wednesday morning. They were open Wednesday morning after the flood, and... um, and they have been here serving the public uh, for a thousand years. Uh, are we going to get to see your dad come in today? Uh, you never know. He okay. might. All right. Uh, Bob's over at the cash register. And we are joined by Amel Chambell, who is a member of the city council. Uh, and she's going to tell us uh, how easy this is going to be for the city council that runs this city to recover. But first, tell us what, where you were when the flood happened. Well, I, a friend at about six o'clock Monday night said, oh my God, have you, she sent me a text, have you heard about Barry? So I walked down and just stood on the street corner and watched the water be a rapid going through town. I, I was horrified and just seeing vehicles trying to get through and obviously not getting through and then meeting people who had been at the north end walking and looking bedraggled to say the least and um and then i just you know i spent about an hour down there and then started walking home but i met somebody coming down on washington street who said you need to go look at washington street too because it's pouring water down that street also, and there are boulders in the road, and people are trying to drive their cars through it over the boulders and getting hung up. And, um, yeah, it was heartbreaking. So the next morning I came down at about 8 o'clock and, again, just stood on the corner watching Bob shovel, thinking I'm going to just stand here and cry. Yeah, it was heartbreaking. Um. There is a there is a dividing line between uh, what you do personally, and then you're a member of the city council. How? And I asked this when we did this show in Montpelier downtown last week. I asked a city council member, "How do you get your arms around this as a city council? Um, you're you're basically volunteers. This is not your expertise. Uh, your your job is to do contracts." Make sure the garbage is picked up, the snow is plowed, uh, the drains are clear. The, 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 the basics of running a small city. Now you have to reorient yourselves and try to get your arms around a, 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 a disaster recovery. How do you do that? Um, this is a work in progress. Yeah. You know, if you're asking me personally, I'm doing a lot of listening. I, um, from day one, I got on my bike and I just ride my bike around town and, um, you know, look at different areas and where are they most impacted. Just 
being in a state of uh, wondering what is going to happen. Concurrently, you know, our city manager has done a magnificent job of developing a lot of um, relationships between the states, you know, the folks in the city staff, all that, you know, Red Cross, and has really put so much into place that helps both, you know, members of the city and Washington County. I mean, we had the, the shelter up at the office. And which which is still open, I believe, I although it's, it's closing closed. soon. It just I closed. Think it just closed. Okay, so the Red Cross shelter at the Barry Auditorium is now. I saw it. Yeah, okay. yeah. But the um, what organization is it? Southern Baptist Recovery People who came up and have been literally going from household to household, knocking out, you know, wearing hazmat and um, very gracefully pulling all this stuff out of people's homes and just watching people's homes on the street is also heartbreaking. So how do we deal with it? We're, you know, we've got Nicholas doing a fabulous job. Jake, the mayor, is pretty tuned in because of his work with the state, people's city planning, et cetera. And, um, you know, Tom Lozon is a force because he works um within the city in all sorts of different ways. So he has a different point of view. But I think everybody is trying to figure it out. But at last night's meeting, um, the clear message was, we can't go back to what we did. You know, everything we knew before, but everything has changed. But now it's clear. You know, and there was even... I don't know, was it in the New York Times this morning that I saw an article about Barry? Something. It wasn't Digger. And it was an article from someplace called Grist or something like that, you know, clearly saying, okay, we've got all these houses that were not in the flood zone that were destroyed. And they were told they couldn't have flood insurance because they weren't in the flood zone, but now... Insurance doesn't cover them. Well, there's a little catch-22. And um, so what do we do? Well, you know, I think I heard Bob talk about dredging. I hear dredging is coming up soon. (laughs) Uh, It's an issue. Peter Anthony was describing last night, you know, some of the old structures in the water, like um, there's this train trestle behind Cumberland Farms here. And he was talking about the pilings that are there that stopped all the flow. And so everything stacks up. And concurrently, what happens is all the silt then settles at the bottom. So the water level has altered. Yeah, we're, and, we're all going to become professional uh, hydrologists over the next year or so. Well, hydrologists, everything, there are like 20 land slides in question in Barry. Some of them impacting houses. And so there's a geophysicist coming, FEMA's looking, Army Corps of Engineers, you know, and Nicholas and staff folk are out there daily, 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 taking in the information. It's sort of like, as you say this, becoming an expert. It's sort of like we all adopted a whole new vocabulary during COVID. Yeah. Well, Boy, our vocabulary over time is changing significantly. Yeah, this one's going to do it, too. 
You know, it's um, before we take a break, uh, I want to ask you a political question. It's almost like, you know, our politics have become so tribal and so partisan and so hateful. And yet a disaster like this almost makes the issue of, say, climate change. The Republicans say it's not a big deal. The Democrats say it's a huge deal. It's almost like it doesn't matter because whether it's climate change or uh, the ghost of Christmas past, this happens. Yeah. It's going to happen again. It is. And regardless of the cause or the politics around it, we have to deal with it. Yeah, we do have to deal with it. And um, and then that brings up the next question, because I don't know how much of that will get gummed up in politics. Yeah. Um, but you can't argue with the reality of what's been going on. And I think everybody has to really gather as much of the facts as possible. I don't, we can't make hasty decisions. We can't just dive in. But on the other hand, we can't pedal back either. You know, last night we had on the table, we've been looking at how to use the ARPA money and give it to some of the organizations within the community. And we've pretty much postponed that. We were hoping to make a decision but things have intervened, so we've postponed, postponed that. And we're doing it because we, the financial ramifications of this are so deep and so unpredictable. I mean, we have, we have no idea. And if houses are condemned, you've got properties taken off the grand list. If FEMA condemns them, then that land is... If they, you know, make it a condemned site, my understanding is FEMA makes it green and vacant forever. So that's a piece of building space that can't be used. And, you know, we got to look at that. got to look at that. we got to look at an aging population in town. You have to look at the fact that Barrie has a much higher poverty level than many other communities in the area, most communities in the area, let me yeah. Um, it's it's going to be a hard haul. Yeah. A really hard hard haul. And I hope we all. I'm seeing even at council people being listening. And I hope that continues. Yeah. And I'll thank you for mm-hmm. joining us. Oh, thank you. <laughs> We're going to take a break. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We're back. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV. We're broadcasting today from, I don't know if it was ground zero of the flood, but we're at Nelson's Hardware and uh, in Barrie. And uh, we talked to Bob Nelson first, and we talked to ML Chambell, a member of the city council, about how Barrie's going to recover. And we're going to do an experiment here. We're going to try to go to the phones and take a call. And let's see if we can do this on this. Uh, are, are we? Do we have him on the line? Bill, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Bill, we hear you've got a question. Uh, give it to us. Well, not so much a question. Well, a couple of things I wanted to bring up was, um, first of all, when we get all this heavy rain and you have all these paved roads, the dirt roads, they're hard surfaces, you take the interstate, one side of it, which I think is roughly 40 feet wide, you get an inch of rain, 
take a mile of that, figure out how much water's coming off of that road alone. Where's all this go? Into our brooks and rivers. The other thing is people are, a lot of them are against dredging the rivers and pulling out clusters of trees that fell and created a diversion dam, which is sending the water into the opposite bank and tearing that whole hillside out, sending all the sill and everything down the river. The gravel bars, there's the other thing. The water has to back up to a certain point before it can go over any of this. So it's going to back up. It's going to go through storm drains, whatever. It's going to flood your your downtown and, and, and that. If we go in and start dredging, pulling these trees out, keeping the river in a deeper channel, it's not going to keep backing up. Of course, dredging gravel bars, when you get to the bridges and that, a lot of these bridges, the piers don't go that deep in the riverbed. So you've got to stay a certain distance away from that because it will wash the gravel out and it's going to collapse. I've seen that happen in Connecticut, where I'm originally from, on the Housatonic River. They were dredging a river, and they got too close to the railroad trestle and stuff going over the river, and it collapsed. You know. Okay. We're gonna the the city council. We just talked to the city council member about that, and I'll tell you, dredging the river is going to be a, a huge issue, but it's going to be one among many. Hey, thank you for the call. Okay, we have to, we're going to now talk to Pete Coleman, who is the owner of Vermont Salumi, right across the street from Nelson's Hardware. Uh, Pete, welcome to the show. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Hope you're having a great day. Um, it's been a pretty big month here. Um, yes, I think we are reporting from ground zero. Well, no, not really. I think north of, north of here got hit a lot worse, and Montpelier really... You know, we, we were pretty fortunate. We had a lot of water in our basement, some damage. Um, you know, Where were you when it happened? Uh, I guess it started to happen Monday night. Um, I was at work. Um, I decided to leave because I didn't want to make sure I could get home to East Montclair, where we also, the basement of my house got flooded as well. And um was up until about one thirty in the morning and came, woke up at 5.30 and on more water than I could ever imagine when I went to bed. I was pretty sure the fix leveled off, but was pretty, pretty wrong on that assumption. And did my best to get back to 169 North Main Street here and buried it. Start pumping. Um, by, about, by about 7 o'clock that night, I had four trash pumps pumping. I don't know how much water out of the basement, but we were fortunate. First floor was pretty well saved. Um, but basement, my, yeah. What? So, okay. <laughs> Wait. It's, you grew up on a farm, so when you uh, when you talk about pumps and water and nature, it's you're more familiar with that kind of thing than a lot of people. How did you get those pumps? Um, I spent someone scrambling through over Hill and Dale to Littleton, New Hampshire. Um, I had Gould Plumbing come save my butt. I don't know if I can say the other word. Yeah, sure. They came. They came in with a couple. Um, Sweetheart Construction was there to help with a lot of uh, pump and other support. We shot the hush concrete, but that's also kind of the beauty of the story is, you know, a lot of folks are coming out of the woodworks to really help get this city back on its feet as quick as possible. Because I think, you know, when, when it floods like that, the most important 
anything. They just kept the water out. She had it dry. And we're still dealing with that, you know? And, and, and you know, I was touched lightly. I still can't even, you know, this is a marathon for some folks. Um, but we were, my assumption was 300,000 gallons what we pumped out of our basement. So talk about uh, what you lost. What was in your basement? Anything? No, nothing else. No. Uh, yeah, no, we actually did. We were pretty lucky. In fact, like one of my, I have a, a five-ton chiller that was completely submerged. I changed a contactor and an auxiliary switch on it. Uh, you know, open it up, dry it out as best I could. Fires right up. I'm to be to be honest. I'm. We had three chest freezers floating. Two of them survived. Um, we lost a lot of inventory, but you know, honestly, I think total losses probably only fifteen thousand. We're getting a lot of That's a lot of money, but no, it's nothing. Okay, I I gotta laugh because I ran into three. Vermont Health Department inspectors in Montpelier last week who were telling uh, restaurant owners and food people what they could and could not keep, what they had to throw away, what they could fire back up and what they couldn't. And Hoolers was not on the list that they could fire back. So the idea that you you jiggered your, your cooler and fired it back up, probably a violation of the law, but who cares, right? Um, well, I think this is, a, this is the chiller, which actually chilled glycol for a, for a dehumidified salami after it's the same i mean it's essentially the same equipment on a larger scale right. but what what's interesting is i think some of uh the reality is you know everything's pretty much fixable you know you replace some electronics you sanitize and you can bring anything back to square one unless it's taken on an absorbent amount of a, a, a lot of water you know unless you've got flood water you know in the walls of things but most most cooler panels are made of a hydrophobic kind of material, which will not absorb. And so, you know, with some due diligence and sanitation, uh, I'm 100% confident that you can bring in just about anything back to life. You know, chest freezers, if you want to take the time to put them back together, you can do it. I've got free cryovac machines that, you know, once I get my head above water fully, I will sit there this one with a beer and I'll start tinkering on them and I'll bring them back to life and it'll be an only project. Um, Let me ask you a question, and I asked this question to Tim Heaney, who's a big landlord in Montpelier, and I said, Tim, what what's the point here? Why don't you just sell it and go to Florida? What, what, why bother? Um, I definitely asked myself this, but I think it's, uh, I think it's in our blood. I think it's really important to the, the social fabric of, I think, Humanity needs these meeting, meeting places in downtowns. You know, we're here at Nelson's, and I come over here every day for something. He was gone. It would be a void in my life. I go to Espresso Bueno every day. I just met a woman from Montpelier, and she said, there's nowhere to go in Montpelier, so I'm here. So it's like, um, I would encourage all members of these communities to get out and help, because if, this, if, if our downtowns go away, it, it's irreplaceable. You know, the businesses that are here add so much value to our lives. Um, and next, I also think on the landlord side of things, like he needs, like myself, who's a business owner, is we can't just go back to doing things the way we did before. We have to rethink this. Set. You've made a big point about um, doing the same thing and hoping for different results. Is gonna happen. So what does that mean? I'm not totally sure. Yeah, I don't I'm, think I'm, any I've, of us. I've got some plans for my building. I'm going to try and, you know, I would move most of your electrical or um, heating equipment off out of the basement uh, or make it so it's easy to change out and just build it into a cost of doing business. You know, like oh, every every 10 years, we lose 
$50,000 of equipment, just still put into your budget, then it's fine. But uh, to assume that this is going to happen again is wrong. Um, but we're here. We're keep doing what we do, and we really encourage everyone to come down and support us. Okay. And everyone. Yeah. Um, Pete Coleman is the founder of Vermont Salumi, and uh, it's the best stuff you can ever buy, and you can get it at, what's the name of the market? AR Market. At AR Market in downtown Barrie, uh, right next to Pearl Street Pizza, where uh, I go. And I'm not a big beer drinker, but I have been known to have a beer there with pizza because it is the best there is. Right, what? Great wine. Great wine. So, Pete Coleman, thanks for coming on. Okay. Uh, We are going to take another break. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. We're back. It's Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis, your host. You're listening to the friendly pioneer, WDEV. And because we're here, Nelson's Hardware has become basically the uh, wood stove around which everyone's gathering. We've got celebrities of all kinds here. And the next one is uh, Alexis Dexter, who is the owner of the Kitty Corner Cafe. And i got to tell you, I've never been there. What? <laughs> You've never been to Kitty Corner Cafe? Well, you have to come back when we're all fixed up. It's going to be fabulous. Okay, so this is a cafe where you can get lunch, but you can also, in the other side, you shelter cats. Is that right? Yep. So one half is the cafe. You got coffee, drinks, uh, we do paninis and things like that. And then the other half is a 3,000-square-foot room that's called the Cat Lounge. And we pull cats from high-kill shelters down south and local strings in, get them all fixed up, and try to find them forever homes. And before we talk about the flood, uh, you told me that your mother is an avid listener of WDEV, and her name is? Her name's Joanne Dexter. Okay. If she's not listening right now, I'll be very surprised. Okay, so Joanne Dexter, shout out from Nelson's <laughs> Hardware and Kevin Ellis. Uh, can she get in her car and come down here and join us? Uh, probably not. She's out in Williamstown. Okay. <laughs> All right. So tell us where you were when the flood happened. Well, I'd been at the store all day long on the tent, and by 4.30, I was like, all right, it's raining a little bit. I'm going to head home, and it was about up to my shin when I walked out onto the sidewalk. And when I got home, it was 6 o'clock. Somebody called me and said, you have to come back down. The water's coming through the doors, and it's not going to be good. So we rushed down. May or may not have jumped a couple of bears. Um, And they were right. When I got here, the water was already in the building, and it was coming in so fast. It It was crazy. The fact that the entire day it had maybe rained and wasn't even gathering on the roads, and in two hours it was practically two feet high was crazy to me. And what happened to your store? <laughs> well, the when I was there, we ended up staying there all night because we had cats. So it was herd the cats, get them into kennels, get them to higher ground. And uh, I ended up busting holes in my own floor to drain the water into the basement. And had I not, the nine feet of water in my basement would have been a so we, we had to pull out walls, we had to pull out floors, everything we had stored in the basement was gone. And it, it it was so much stuff that you never expect, and it was just all gone in an instant. And now what? 
what have you been doing for the last three and a half weeks? Uh, rebuilding. It's been a lot of what uh, we had the neighbors building out over a diesel tank and it drained into RV. So that was a hazmat problem. Getting all that mud and silt out was a big deal and took forever. The water being pumped out with six sump pumps, three days worth of pumping constantly. And now it's get new tile in, get new floor in, fix the walls, pull the insulation out, redo that. Basically just build it back up so we can open it all. I got to ask you what I just asked Pete Coleman of, of Vermont Salumi, which is uh, why bother? I feel like, I, I mean, I own the flower shop as well, and I've been in Barry for almost seven years now. The Cat Cafe has been just shy of three. And this is home. This is where we've always been. The people here are fantastic, and I just love it here. And as much as it would just be easy to say, you know, no more, I'm done, it feels like that's giving up. And we don't give up in this time. Uh, I assume you have a million dollars passed away in a savings account that you're going to use to pay for all of this. Uh, how are you going to pay for all this? If you know where that savings account is, I would love you to tell me because yeah. uh, nobody told me. No, it's been – we've been very lucky. We started a GoFundMe, which has been slowly getting us the money we need to kind of fix this and that. It was $30,000. And you're talking the government grant program is only 20000 so that barely scratches the surface on top of contractor fees and supplies and stuff. You're talking $100,000 easy just to get us back, and it's every penny counts. Do you go to the bank for that money and borrow it, or do you do you, scrimp, do you sort of scratch along gradually through grants and the generosity of others in your own bank account? At the moment, it's been mostly either the generosity of others or ourselves. Um, it's been a lot of my own money, the money from the family who have been helping um, We've been applying for grants and stuff, but obviously everybody else wants to. There's only so much money to go around. So we're the good thing for us is that we are a cat shelter. We are a 501c3, so we've been able to apply for a couple of disaster grants from like PetSmart. But even that's a couple thousand dollars at a time, which keeps us going, keeps us afloat. But it's hard. It's very hard. And there are times I sit there staring at a negative bank account and cry, and I hope maybe tomorrow somebody will put something back into it. There is a fund. Uh, we're going to have City Councilman and former Mayor Tom Lozon on to talk about the Flood Recovery Fund. Are you hearing about that? Uh, there's going to be a barrier. Oh, my God, I got a I have. I've seen uh, we've got an email from, like, the Shut up. That's We've been able to see as it grows and all that, so we're very eagerly awaiting that. We'll, we'll get a stopping point. All right, I'll get it. Don't come in. And obviously, it's time for money to come to you, and we're just waiting patiently. Tell me, uh, and our audience, uh, where where you are in that stage. We talked to Bob Nelson about it. There's the stage of adrenaline and you're surviving that way. Then and you're cleaning out, and then you get a kind of long exhaustion, and you kind of throw up your hands and need to go away and recover. What's that been like for you? I definitely for all at that point. It's so hard to believe that it's been almost a month since this has happened because we're just we're not there yet. And somebody said to me the other day, like we're so far behind us, people are already open and like we're not behind. There's just a lot more to do. And it's it's so hard to get people to realize that it didn't just go away. People come in and like you're still rebuilding, you're still doing that and like, yeah, you you don't understand. Like this is you can't even go up to RK Miles right now and buy supplies. 
you have to go to the ends of the earth to find sheetrock. So it's yeah, there's a, there's definitely a gap between what, and this this has to do with sort of our souped up, sped up internet society mm-hmm. where we all expect everything to arrive from Amazon in one day. Uh, there's a gap between what we what the, what your reality is to recover and what the regular customer's reality is of what they expect, right? To talk about that gap. I mean, you're talking, you you go an hour out of town, there's people mowing their lawns and living their normal lives. And it's it's so weird to think that we're in this get-it-done-now sort of situation, but you can't get it done now. There's no two-day shipping. There's no prime options. We have to deal with what we can find, and what we find have to be the right stuff. I mean, you're talking, it's a business that sells food. We have to be food safe. We have to be certified. The state has to come back in. And if we don't do it right the first time, then there was no point in doing it at all. Yeah, and you can't order a panini on Amazon. <laughs> no, no, you can. I mean, you could. I mean, I'm good at it. I'm sure they have an option there somewhere. Isn't that really what we're talking about here? Pete, Pete, Pete Coleman from Vermont was just talking about that, the, the, the importance of local business and the community that that creates. Uh, if, if Nelson's Hardware was not here, if the Kitty Corner Cafe was not there, we would be a, a far worse off uh, group of people because, yeah, you can get it from Amazon. You can get most things from Amazon in a day, but you can't talk to you, Alexis, over the counter or Bob Nelson over the over the counter when you need a sump pump. Ordering a sump pump from Amazon, I guess, is a lot different than coming in here and talking to Bob Nelson about it. Oh, yeah. Having somebody here, I mean, the fact that they were open right after the flood happened, I don't know what we would have done if they weren't. I even sat there and said, can we even go to Nelson's? Mm-hmm. Nelson's open. And I saw their post on Facebook and almost cried because there was no way I was going to drive myself to some box store and hope somebody was going to help me the way that these people would because these people know me. These people care. People out in the middle of nowhere at some big corporate situation were just going to look at me and say, yeah, I'll come. And then I was going to sit there and try and figure out what I was going to do. <laughs> right, right. So are you open right now? Uh, the cat cafe is not. The flower shop is. Uh, like I said, we're trying to get the cat lounge back together, get the cats back in there for the sort of shelter portion of things. But uh, the food portion of it is going to take a little longer. We've got to get recertified and cleaned and bleached. Where, where are the cats? Uh, we got very lucky. There were 57 cats in there mm-hmm. the night of the flood. And within four hours of me calling out for foster families, all of them had foster homes. And that, I cried. It was it was beautiful and tragic all at the same time. <laughs> but uh, they're all in foster homes right now. Uh, eight of them have found their forever homes through this foster situation, so that's been great. Um, and we're just waiting very eagerly for them to come back. It's weird to be in a cat cafe with no cats. <laughs> when do you think we can come in and get a panini? Food-wise, not so sure. Cat-wise, hopefully by next week, we'll be able to have people back in to visit cats. Um, after that, I'd say at least a couple more weeks out from there, just yes. based on when things come in. Yeah. Alexis Dexter, owner of the Kitty Corner Cafe. Thank you for joining us. No, thank you very much, and have a good day, Mom. Bye. Bye, Mom. <laughs> Even though you're all the way out in Williamstown. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to have your daughter on the show. We're back. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. I'm Kevin Ellis, and we're 
broadcasting live from downtown Barrie because we're focusing the entire show on what this little city is doing, how they were affected by the flood, and what they're doing to recover. Our next guest is, I'm going to, I'll do the resume as quickly as I can, property owner, uh, landlord, uh, city councilman, former mayor, uh, and the local accountant, Tom Lozon. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure where to start, but and, uh, well, and currently street sweeper. Yeah, currently street sweeper. Um, where were you when the flood started? Uh, I was in my office uh, on Metro Way, which is a large commercial complex uh, that we own right in back of us here, a uh, facility that was hit pretty hard during the flooding. Um, back in 2011, we placed water marks on a wall adjacent to that property with public safety. And the marks start at three, they go to four, or five, six, seven. We don't do eight because once you get eight, you're in trouble. And uh, so all day long, as it was raining, uh, every hour, I would jump in my truck. I would um, drive down. It was hanging out there pretty much four, five, six feet of water. And then about 3.30, it really started to rain. And it started to pour. And it lasted. And about quarter of five, uh, I just I just had a bad feeling and jumped in my truck. I was headed home anyway. Karen called me on my way down to the Metro Center, and she said, you can't get home. Uh, the Edgewood Brook, where, interestingly, at the foot of my driveway, the lieutenant governor drowned in 1927. Um, she said, you can't get home. She said, you'll have to drive across the field. The house was fine, but it's a bit of an incline and couldn't get up the driveway. It, we were under six feet of water. So I continued on to the Metro Center. Uh, I couldn't see the seven, so I knew we were in big trouble. Drove down Boynton Street, started up Metro Way, got halfway up Metro Way. It was above the doors of my truck. And I know the parking lot. I know it dips down. Uh, so I threw it in reverse, uh, turned around, headed up Main Street. By the time I made the turn onto Main Street, it was further up the doors of my truck. And, uh, yeah, so I knew we were in. What would you do then? <laughs> you know, there's nothing you can do. Um, got a call that you were going to kill the power at the Metro Center at about 8 o'clock. We had a propane tank that had broken loose. It was breached. It was leaking and threatening other buildings around us. So we had two 120s, 220-gallon propane tanks. So I went down and shut them off. Had to wade through. It was chestnut water at that point. And, you know, but we had to get those. So it was it, it was just a reaction. I mean, it's it was surreal. It was it was just surreal. You Literally a feeling of disbelief. Like I, I have never seen water that high in the city. And where are we now in Barrie? Where are we now? I'm proud. I am so proud of how far. And before I continue, thank you, because I know you were out moving families and helping them yesterday. You know, I'm just so proud of this city. I, I got to be honest with you. It, it takes, and it's not a macho thing. It's just I'm an optimistic person. And the first week was the closest I ever came to quitting. Um, after about three days, everything, you know, you work 30 years to build these buildings and you're proud of them, proud of the businesses and totally dedicated. And in 24 hours, everything is wiped out. And I really questioned at the end of that week um, whether I wanted to keep going, whether, you know, this is going to be a Karen kids me about retiring all the time and I'm not even close to ready. This Boy, is Karen, your Karen, my wife. spouse and, and business partner. She spouse, business partner, best friend and the best thing to ever happen. Yeah. Um, you know, she kids me about it every week. Is this a week? Is this a week? And 
I was pretty down. I, I, I don't want to say I was beat, but I wasn't far from being beat. And, um, but then I watched in the Metro Center, I watched the tenants. There are 10, um, 10 individual commercial industrial units there, 10 businesses. And I watched everybody pick themselves up, start cleaning things out, working so hard, didn't ask me for a damn thing. They were looking at me saying, Tommy, you got your own shit. Sorry, yeah. problems. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they didn't ask me for a thing. And and I watched them, and I watched Richard the Cornerstone, and I watched Pete, and I watched Bob Nelson, and I watched all these people who, who fought for it. Who, who, you know, they put their flag in the mud, and they said, no, this is my town, this is my business, and I'm going to fight for it. And for me, that was just so inspiring personally. And by the end of that weekend, the first weekend, I just said, no, nah, I'm all in. I can't let these people know. You know, I am all in. Whatever it takes, um, we are going to rebuild this. We're going to make it right. We're going to build back better. And that's where we are today. I'm just proud. I'm proud of how everyone is responding in Central Vermont. Uh, let me ask you the most difficult and profound question I can possibly come up with, which is, and I asked this of, when we did the show in Montclair last week, do we have the capability and the expertise in government, be it city government, state government, to A, recover from this, and B, redesign the way we have been living? To live in this climate change, flood, weather world that we have, do we have the ability to do this? Well, we do. I mean, first of all, we've got the will. You know, we all see it. We see how hard people are fighting. So, can we rebuild? Absolutely. We're rebuilding now, so we're doing that. Now, back in '11, back in '15, uh, sometimes we have a short memory, and we have limited resources. I mean, that's the thing that I worry about every day. It is going to be tremendously expensive to rebuild, but as we rebuild, we have to constantly allocate resources towards mitigation. You know, it, it, it is going to happen again. Sorry, folks, I don't mean to be a pessimist, but let's be real about our weather patterns and where we are. Um, I'm focusing now more on rebuilding, recovery, mitigation, with an emphasis on mitigation than I ever have. You know, we're looking at uh, the administration has been incredibly helpful. I've been presenting ideas to the governor. We've been talking about different things. But in all of those things, it, in 2011, 2015, the focus was on rebuilding. Now the focus is on rebuilding and mitigation. So do we have the expertise? We absolutely do. And and we have to change the way we rebuild. Even my what belief that, What does that mean? Make a, make a checklist for other owners out there, what are the three things you've got to do for the next 25 years? Well, I mean, first of all, um, rebuilding is a little bit difficult. When you have a panel in the basement, it's not always simple to move right. that panel to the first floor. You have to. Right. In some instances, we're going to be doing, my, my business, we're going to be doing things twice. Because the first thing I have to do is, especially in residential buildings, we can't afford to lose housing. So if I can get someone, if I can change that panel and get someone their power back so they have smoke and fire detection, they have a stove, they have a refrigerator, if I can do that in five days, that's money well spent. However, I am absolutely committed, and I've told my electrician, all right, next year when we're past this crisis, we've got to move that panel to the first floor. And I understand that I spent $5,000 replacing the panel today 
And a year from now, I'm going to spend $12,000 moving into the first floor. There's a bit of a duplication of expenses. Um, but those are the things that we're going to have to think about. You know, you've got to get the appliances, uh, the heating appliances, the water heaters, get the thing. If you can get it out of the basement, get it out of the basement. Because I guarantee you in the next 15 years, you're going to be replacing it again if you don't. I interviewed Tim Heaney, the property owner and the landlord in Montpelier, and I said, what's the loss, Tim? And he said, for me, $2 million. And I said, where are you going to get that? And he said, I'm going to go to the bank and get a mortgage. Yeah. And I said, Tim, what keeps you, what makes you want to do that? Just move to Florida. <laughs> and he said, that's not who I am. I just, I'm going to go get a mortgage. And that's not who, that's not who Tim is. Tim is, right. Tim is a great guy. I've had the pleasure of working with Tim over the past 30 years. There is no one more dedicated to Montpelier than Tim Haney. So Tim will get it done. I have a little different perspective on it. Uh, so our out-of-pocket, um, our out-of-pocket will be somewhere between a million and a million five uh, by the time this is done. We were fully insured on all the buildings, but flood insurance caps out at five hundred thousand. We've got some buildings that were that were more damaged than that. But I have a different take on it. Um, I, I won't be going to the bank. Um, you know, Karen, I love her. She takes such good care of me, and. She was a little concerned uh, after about 10 days we were sitting on the patio and she just looked at me and she said, are we going to be okay? Sometimes she pays attention, but she really doesn't pay attention. And and I was kind of over it at that point. And I said, honey, we're going to be fine. We're going to be okay. And she said, yeah, but, you know, I heard you talking about, oh my God, you know, $1.5 million out of pocket. And I looked at her and I said, Karen, could you ever imagine a world where we die with less than $1.5 million in the bank? And she looked at me and she said, well, no, I don't think so. And I said, then we're not even spending our money, are we? Right. <laughs> so, right. So, sorry, kids, but I just spent your inheritance on rebuilding Barry. <laughs> uh, what are you doing today? Uh, actually, I'll be lunching with the governor at, uh, at 11.30. I've uh, got to make the rounds. Got to be down at 540 North Main Street. We own a vacant lot in Montpelier, and I've got to go work with that contractor to get that. He was staging up. I was loaning the lot out, and uh, we're planning construction projects. So it, it's just a full day. And and got to say thank you, my partner, Rita, at the accounting firm. I haven't been there a whole lot uh, in the past three weeks, and, and she's really been helping me out picking up the slack. In 30 seconds, uh, what does it mean to have the governor uh, who you've known for a thousand years, uh, mm-hmm. be from Barry. You know, governor is equally committed to every community in Vermont. Sure. Maybe he's got a bit of a soft spot in his heart for Barry. Uh, but I can tell you, I, I get text messages from him at two in the morning, you know, at five thirty in the morning. Um, no one is more committed to Vermont and to rebuilding and to resiliency and to mitigation than Phil Scott. So he will have anything I can do for our governor. I'm there hundred percent. We're broadcasting live for the next 25 minutes from beautiful downtown Barrie at Nelson's Hardware. Uh, The staff is here. uh, Various celebrity guests are here. We are now joined. We have Tom Lozon from the city council, former mayor. He's an accountant in town. He's a property owner, and he's been doing nothing but pumping out basements and starting the recovery here. We're also joined now by John Balson Giacomo, who is a lawyer in Barrie, uh, and he is the chair of the board at Capstone Community Action, among other things. Uh, and he's only lived in Barry for how many years? 
50. Yeah, about about 50 years. He's a bit of a newcomer. Uh, before we get to John, Tom, it, we need to talk before we end about uh, how you're going to pay for all this. You have a fund. Mm-hmm. Tell us what the name of it is. We'll give out the website. We'll tell people where they can donate to help these businesses get back on their feet. Uh, thank you. Uh, well, we started a board member of the Berry Community Relief Fund. It's 501c3 that we formed shortly after the flood. Uh, we're currently uh, raising money. We'll have an application process. Uh, Shannon Alexander is right in front of me. Shannon has been doing amazing work. She's been doing all the behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, launched our web page for us. And I think, Shannon, we're going live with the application process on the 15th. That's our goal. Uh, and, um, look, we've got, in some respects, we've got a long road ahead of us. Uh, there are folks who have resources and there are folks who do not, uh, and everyone's going to need a little bit of help. So our goal is to raise as much money as we can. Barry Community Relief Fund, if you have the means, please go to the site, uh, donate, and we'll be launching uh, an application process for businesses and individuals we know we won't be able to fill the whole need, but hopefully we'll bridge some gaps. Tom, there's a little bit of under the current, uh, what's the word, politicking going on where people are, have complained about, you know, Montpelier's the state capital and it's got more wealth and it's getting all the attention, whereas, and Barry is not. Um, you know, there's a big meeting that's going to happen in Montpelier tomorrow, a community meeting. Uh, where everyone's going to talk about how to recover about this, but it, everyone's really in this together, right? It, it, it sort of becomes one city, doesn't it? Well, you know, of course we are. Um, look, we're different. We're different cities. Yeah. This isn't a competition. Yeah. This is all in and no one left behind. Yeah. Uh, you know, if if there is someone who needs help in Montpelier, has needed help in Montpelier, I'm glad to help them and vice versa. You know, so I don't I think it's defined by personalities or by boundaries. I mean, I will say this, um, and I'll say it a little in jest. Sure. Montpelier is like Manhattan. Barry's like Brooklyn. Okay? There you go. Sorry, my money's on Barry in a street fight. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're talking about Brooklyn 30 years ago, not yeah. not today. Uh, there's, still some, there's still some questionable areas of Brooklyn. Look, we are all in this together. And, you know, realistically, when you look at Montpelier, a lot of, we had a lot of basements flooded and buried. We had some first floors flooded and buried. Montpelier got hit harder. Yeah, can, the rebuilding you, cost is going to be more. We're all amateur hydrologists now and yeah. dam experts, but do you have any idea why that happened? Montpelier versus Barry? Uh, just water levels. And obviously, um, we had more sediment here in Barry. When I looked at the water damage in Montpelier, they had some sediment. I mean, we had literally, you know, at the Metro Center that I mentioned a few times, we removed, it's a nine-acre parcel. We removed 600 yards of sediment from that property. So, you know, I suspect, uh, because when the water was going through Barry, the water had, basically, there was, um, the water was rushing. By the time it got to Montpelier, it really, it really, almost like a bathtub, it just, it just came up more slowly in a lot sediment had already dropped out. Um, I mean, I look at the sediment. Somebody's missing a town somewhere because, you know, we've removed thousands of yards of silt. And um, so, you know, we talked a little bit about mitigation. Then I'm going to turn it over to John. 
you know, there is one thing I've observed. There's a lot of real estate between East Barry and Barry, a lot of real estate between Barry and Montpelier. We can do a better job at controlling the water and giving it a place to go. We just have to have the will to do that. Do you have uh, last question for you uh, at the city council? How do you get your arms around this? Uh, you know, is there a, what, what, where do you start? You move. Well, the first thing you do is you move crisis to crisis. Um, first order of business is safety, keeping people safe, keeping people housed. Um, I think in the city, I think I think we did a great job. Our city staff, our city manager, everyone did a really great job. So the first order of business is just safety, keeping people safe, and and then you start rebuilding. I mean, literally. You know, my day is is crisis to crisis. You know, something's going wrong every day. Even now in recovery, we're finding things wrong with buildings that we missed the first time through. So, look, we're all in this together. We are all 100% committed. Uh, we are going to build back better. I know it's this big cliche. I have I have no doubt about the commitment of the business owners and citizens of here, and likewise the business owners and the citizens of Barry. And that's 90% of the battle. The will to survive is 90% of the battle. Because, listen, this sucks. I want a new hand. Okay? Yeah, I want to fold this hand and I want a new deal. Yeah. But this is the hand I've been dealt. Yeah. And this is the only hand all of us have been dealt. We're going to play this hand. We're going to learn. John Belson Giacomo, you are the chair of the board. Don't go far, Tom. We'll, we'll, uh, you're the chair of the board of Capstone Community Action, which is the anti-poverty nonprofit in Barry that serves everyone who's poor. Uh, and it's been interesting, and I'm involved, as you know, with Downstreet Housing. The folks who are poor uh, kind of get left behind here. It, it's easy for us to forget. Um, but if you're really poor and your housing is substandard and you, you lose your house. You have nowhere to go. What are you doing at Capstone these days in the wake of the flood? First, the, you know, Sue Minter is the director. It's been amazing. I just say she's the right person to right time. Yeah. That was the way through COVID. Now through uh, this flooding. It's, uh, we, we covered not just Washington County. We just Orange County, Washington County, and the Wild County. Right. Are the three counties we served. And, you know, right now, the outreach, we keep on talking about the second wave of this disaster. Uh, you know, the state puts out numbers on the whole place based on 211. We think that's more than double because there's a lot of people who don't have the ability to technology, don't have this information cut off, or they're distrustful. Yeah. You know, to some degree, distrustful um, the government. We, you know, we don't have hard numbers, but uh, our big concern is, I just said it even this morning, the city. The heating season's not that far away. But all the properties, commercial properties, but the residential properties don't have heating. Lots of furnaces. There was a supply chain issue before. What's going to happen? You know, we had a couple of mornings here, and it was 45 degrees. Yeah. Uh, we had this housing crisis. Magnified, and no one has an answer. So right now, Capstone itself was physically right off Grand Street. You saw Desert Machines, Pepin Granite, Degris Auto. I mean, that was
despite all that re- the outreach, they also were volunteering around the community themselves helping clean up. But right now, it's just trying to identify the need. Yeah. You know, it, 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 that's the biggest thing because they're especially like you know, more rural areas in Royal County. Look, people think of Royal County is still wealthy, well, not, right. not. Um, and so right now, that is one of the biggest challenges to find out who who has these needs, what do they need, um, help. There's, and we said this earlier in the show, there's a gap between, and I think this has to do with our sped up internet culture, you know, where you can get everything from Amazon the next day. There's a real gap here. You know, this is a long haul. Barry, Montpelier, Cabot, Johnson, Hardwick. This is, these stores are not, I mean, the Kitty Corner Cafe, she's not going to be open for another uh, few weeks. It just doesn't happen overnight. You know, you, it, it's a long struggle. I, my building, I mean, I'm a law firm, but I'm on the third floor of my building. We lost our elevator, which we service a lot of elderly clients and clients that can't get to us. We have no hot water. All our uh, electrical is in the basement, all our meters from the basement. Uh, we just put it in the DC, the building was put in. Also, that's in the basement. I mean, and this, you go through Main Street, these are old buildings, right? That's yeah. where that's where Montpelier and Barry, that's where everything was because there was no other place to put it. So as far as, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm house and my, we were shut down for two weeks. We're back going. But, yeah, this is the long haul because just getting just priorities and getting who's going to get up and running, how do you get in these buildings, um, like North End of Mary, homes, these apartment houses, homes, just working. Not only this material, workers, get it, mold, et cetera, it just keeps on working its way up. It's going to be a huge challenge. Uh, it, Tom Lozon, uh, <laughs> the north end of Barry uh, really got hit hard. What, you know, how do you, how do you think about that? How does the city council deal with that? Well, uh, we haven't yet addressed that specifically at the council level. I mean, for me personally, um, the one thing that keeps me up at night right now is winter. We are eight weeks away from very inclement weather when it gets cold. You know, right now we know that there are people in their homes. They have no hot water. They have no heat. They have power, and their homes are safe. You know, their basement's been mucked out. It's been disinfected. They're rebuilding. Um, but my biggest concern is that some folks, and many in the North End, have to wait until they get their FEMA check, their $41,000 FEMA check. Mid-September, they're going to call a um, Know, HVAC contractor and say, I'd like to order a furnace. Yeah. By then, it's likely going to be too late. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's something, literally, the week after the flood, I toured all of our buildings and my contractors, and I said, when you look at this building, I want you to think about how you get me ready for winter in the next six weeks. And that's where our focus was. And, you know, my biggest concern, when, we, when they look to close the shelter at the auditorium, I beg them not to close it, to mothball it and keep it ready because I think, I, I, I think, I hope I'm wrong, but I think we're going to be in a bit of a crisis as the inclement weather shows up and folks simply aren't ready to eat their homes. John, there's homeless people out there too, and we forget about them. Uh, we, we, we shut down part of the motel general assistance program, um, and that's having effects uh, you know, how, what is down? What is uh, Capstone's experience with those? I can't. I honestly, uh, we. I don't know exact numbers on that. But uh, my understanding is that the hotel program, they're 
extended part part of it now the flood. You know, that's that's actually now not going to be fully shut down, and I know that's utilized. But the reality is, is so many beds, and you know, as we talked, that, that real concern we have some talk about is the next wave of disaster, the second disaster, is is the, the heating season. Um, yeah, that's a big question. Was at the FEMA meeting, they said, "Oh, we'll offer tenants two months rent." Like, well, where are they going to go? There's no place for them to use that two months rent. There's no available housing. That's okay. And that's when I think we have to, you know, instead of just repairing, we got to think long term. Like, what are we doing for housing? Where are we going to build it? How are we going to do it? Because we've seen it 12 years. We've had three of these. Yeah. I mean, it's not changing. We've got Tom Lowe's on, uh, the city councilor, and John Belson Giacomo, the chair of the board at uh, Capstone. John, you had you had people to thank. Well, I just want to, through this, you know, we we talk about all the construction which we can't get about, but there's some pauses. In this. I like to always find the good and the bad. Hey. Uh, um, you had uh, in this. I can help you. We saw back here out by Nelson's that first morning, which is just organic, and we started mission. There's no. City wasn't here, no one's here. We just started helping. And Bob and staff and having a hardware store was great because you know, shovels were out. I have a 12 year old, 14 year old. They came down here, they spent four days working the basement shoveling. Talk about life lessons. Anyway, I kept on asking who these people, one point at 30 volunteers in the basement. Who these people, I don't know how. They didn't like, couldn't gather how people we don't know just were showing up to help out. And that was, you know, throughout two weeks we were already working, but you had Lloyd Electric, which was incredible, offering up their staff. Like said, yeah, Lester Feltz, who Bob's electrician, was out here pushing the shovel, pumping. Yeah, I mean, just, I don't want to forget people still around. Yeah, everybody was just sharing back. Here. And you just had these, it was just, I tell everybody, my faith in humanity was restored. Yeah. Right? In this bag, all the people, people who I know, way too, don't really know, just, what do you need? What do you need to help? And just, I don't know, Bob probably echoed this. It was just pretty amazing. Um, the people I had, my best friends in law school, Joel from Maine, we had a hard time getting here, but he, he made it. You know, it's like friends from Nevada State, what do you need? What can we do? Can we come up? Can we help? And it was just through that, it was just this organic, everybody working together, which was really nice to see. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it brings our petty political arguments about, you know, who is causing climate change or who's not causing climate change. It really doesn't matter at the moment because uh, – it happened and we have to, and it's going to happen again. And so, you know, the, the petty bickering in politics kind of takes a back seat to the emergency, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, like I said, it's, you know, it's just so many people that helped out. It didn't matter. Yeah. yeah it didn't matter. Shoulder, shoulder, shoulder people that they yeah. have disagreements with it. It was met. Everybody's there helping each other. Like I said, with my, you know, my wife was incredible to help out my family members, just the people who, just were willing to, people think from out of state, all these volunteers in here, but just people yeah. showing up. We had a gentleman, retired colonel, retired from Norwich, showed up every day helping Nelson and helping us with his 80 years old and just wanted to help from Randolph. He just came and showed up every day. Yeah. Did what he could, worked four or five hours and leave, come back the next day. It was, you know, those, those little stories. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and unfortunately, there's still a lot of work needs to be done. There's a lot of people that need help. There's still people who need help in their homes and apartments. So hopefully, you know, now we're a couple of weeks away. People see cars come down Main Street, and so they don't get to, you know, still not over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gives the impression that that things are back to normal, and it's not. Hey, Tom, before we have to leave, talk to us about the fund where people can donate one more time. Oh, thank you very much. So, 
Uh, shortly after the flood, we formed the Barry Community Relief Fund. Uh, I mentioned Shannon. Shannon Alexander is standing here. Shannon has done just an incredible job uh, launching the webpage, setting up all of the links. Um, we know that, uh, you know, however much money we can raise, it's not going to be enough. So if you could, please uh, go to the webpage or Google Barry Community Relief Fund. Uh, we're in the process, uh, I believe, our launch, our big launch and fundraiser, Pearl Street Pizza on the 19th. Shannon, thank you. Uh, yeah. And uh, so, look, it's all hands on deck, whether it's a dollar, five dollars, a thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars. Every little bit is going to help. There are going to be individuals and businesses in Barry who have unmet needs. And these donations are literally, you know, it's, it's not overstating it. These are going to be life changing for some people. You know, as John just said, this sucks. I mean, it was discouraging. And, and there was a point in time where I really wanted to quit. And what kept me going is looking at people like Bob Nelson, you know, like John, like, like my tenants who were sticking their flag in the mud and working hard to save their businesses. And that is inspiring. We're all in this together. And the money that we raise, 100%, is going to go directly to flood relief. And, you know, hopefully we can make, make some difference in somebody's lives and just just let them know that somebody cares. Tom Lozon, John Belson Giacomo, thank you for joining us. And thanks also to Bob Nelson for hosting us here at Nelson's Hardware. That is our show. Many thanks to all our guests. If you want to be a guest on the show or send us a suggestion for a topic, drop me a line. This show becomes a podcast right away, so you can highlight it, cut and paste it into your into your email and send it to all your friends. Uh, or Google that flood relief fund and please donate generously. And as I like to say, if you're getting a cup of coffee for $2.50, round up to 3 bucks because that's the difference between whether this town is going to be here uh, for all of us in the future. You can find me at KevinKLS.com where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter called Conflict of Interest. I'm on Twitter and Instagram if you want to follow me. My podcast, also called Conflict of Interest, examines the issues we deal with on this show. Today is Wednesday, so therefore I will be back Friday where we're going to talk to WDEV weatherman Roger Hill about what the heck is going on here with all this rain. Uh, that'll be Wednesday, and I'm going to try to get the uh, the governor's uh, flood relief uh, d- new director on the show as well. Uh, and we're going to continue doing these on-the-ground uh, visits. I know Hardwick, I know uh, Cabot, and I know that uh, Johnson have all been affected, and I think we're going to try to go to those communities as well. As always on this show, we'll talk politics. Uh, in Vermont and the country, uh, my garden, my kitchen, my basement, and everything else on my mind and yours. Uh, our show's produced by me, engineered and made possible by Steve Cormier and all the folks at WDEV. Remember, donate generously to these relief funds. Uh, these people need it. Whether you're in Montpelier or Barry or elsewhere, uh, there's statewide funds, there's local funds. And when you go get that cup of coffee, round up to the nearest dollar. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Kevin Ellis, and we'll see you right back here on Friday with Roger Hill, who's going to explain the weather to us on Vermont Viewpoint, live radio on the friendly pioneer WDEV. 